Welcome to Philosophy Club, where lifelong friends discuss life's questions. Let's do it. Wow. Yeah, but do it with like more passion this time. <laughs> with more, a little more conviction. I don't speak to an audience. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let me try again. Um, so maybe I have a topic, which is. <laughs> oh, please tell. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this before. I'm sure you've never heard anybody say anything like this before, but. I was at an art museum recently in the Egyptology section, and there was like a little blurb explaining that ancient Egyptians would have been considered um, in some ways very conservative because they uh, were pretty intolerant to like assimilating aspects of other cultures, and they wanted to really preserve what they saw as like their culture and their heritage as Egyptians. And that made me think, for the first time in my life, is there something valuable about being conservative in the sense that um, that protecting this like sort of cultural identity could have like its own intrinsic value? And what made me think that was that I love ancient Egyptian culture. I love how distinct it is, and it's like how it's just this whole thing onto itself that it feels like its own world. And I do get a little sad by the westernization or like globalization of all of our culture. So many things start to let run together. It's like uh, the world becomes left and left to see. So anyway, my question is like, is there value to just protecting us cultures or um, yeah, is there value to just like being conservative in the sense and protecting the cultural identity um, or not? Is there not? And if there is, like, where's the line? Like, how far do you take it? Hmm. Katie, that was like such a coherent speech. I, you had to have practiced it, right? <laughs> no, it's actually the very just first like right off the dome. Do you just came up with it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we? So I know anybody listening. <laughs> oh, so yeah. yeah so I'm realizing like we have this issue now. We're like, there's. The beginning isn't recorded, so if we make any jokes there, they just don't translate to the rest of the session. Yes, they don't land. Yeah. Okay. So, so we we started uh, philosophy club and we forgot to record. So this is that was all pre-practiced. Oh, can now, you explain the joke? Oh. <laughs> now this is all this is all real live podcasts, just live. Wow! Look at that. Uh, um, so okay, I do. I think, like, I know in France, they put a limit on the number of, like, non-French-speaking movies or things that can can be shown annually in order to help protect the sort of, like, French identity and culture or whatever from being too, and, and I think also specifically, like, the language um, from being too bombarded by outside things. Um and I, I see, I guess, the reasoning for that, but also part of me is always kind of this found that, like, oh, look at, what do you know? The French are being snooty about being French again. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, I think my my gut reaction to that is to be like, well, that, that's bad. That's wrong. That's snooty. Um, at best, it's snooty. At worst, it's just, like, racist. So I think, yeah, it's like, in the present day, it feels like, oh, don't do that. Just like everybody should just blend all together. But then when I look back in the past, I'm so like grateful for these distinct things. And, and, and honestly, when I travel, it's really awesome when you go somewhere and it actually feels like a different place entirely instead of like going somewhere and it's like McDonald's and Walmart, you know, like everybody is back. So, do we think? Sort of- um, does it actually happen? Do you think that? I mean, the answer. I guess my as soon as I started asking this, I think the answer popped in my head is yes. But do you think it actually happens that cultures disappear 
because of being exposed to outside cultures? Like, do we think that like there's less? I don't know. Like, like as as Japan became more and more in contact with like the U.S. post World War II, that like elements of Japanese culture genuinely disappeared at all, or did they just kind of? I mean, because I mean, I guess if there's a a limit on the amount of maybe you could say real estate, then bringing in like a McDonald's and, you know, is going to take something else away. But I don't know. At the same time, I feel like there's plenty of places. I don't, I guess I haven't been, that may be a terrible example, but I imagine there's plenty of places where the Japanese culture is still like alive and well. That's, that's true. I think, um, I feel like, I feel like probably yes, cultures do almost almost fully die out maybe not fully though maybe yeah maybe that's the question i think definitely it degrades and it lessens for sure can this like effectively exterminate all whole culture i don't know if i could think of an example of that but at the same time maybe i couldn't think of an example of that because our culture is gone like we wouldn't think of it that way in our range you know have you guys seen um, this? Reminded me. Have you guys seen the movie Wind River? Uh, the frog. No. Um, it's it's about there's um a woman who's found dead on an Indian reservation. Yeah. Um, and she's got Jeremy Renner and uh, whatever her name is, who's the Scarlet Witch. And but there's a scene at at that where the woman who's found dead, her dad is like grieving, of course, and um, and he's wearing like a traditional death mask, I guess. Um, and Jeremy Renner's question is like, he asked him, he's like, how did you even like really know how to do that? And he's like, I, I don't, I made it up basically. He was like, he was like, my connection to like my culture is like so gone at this point. Um, even though like he's, you know, they live on this reservation and, you know, and they are surrounded by other members, I guess, of their, their tribe or whatnot. And, but that said, they become so, I guess, Americanized, um, or Westernized or however you want to phrase it. Um, that like certain elements of the culture are just totally gone and they can make their best guess at them. And it did, it did feel like a real loss. I will say in the context of that movie, it did make a good case for the fact that that is like something really has been lost when we use elements of a culture like that. Right. <clears throat> so I know very little about history. So show me counterexamples if you have them, but it kind of seems to me that this era that we're living in, with like the, the internet where we're exposed to so many different cultures, like at the click of a button is one of the first times we're getting so much cross-cultural exposure without the undertones of like one culture trying to conquer another. And I feel like in most times of history, if you were seeing a lot of a different culture, it's because they were trying to invade you. So are we just seeing like a big natural experiment of what happens when cultures peacefully intermingle? Another thing I was thinking yet, or Justin or Aizy, with like thinking that there's a portrait that are dying out and people who are holding on to them and trying to like reinvigorate their cultures, like are talking about how nobody's speaking their language anymore and nobody's practicing customs. Like I think of, I think of like the people of Hawaii, but again, they were like conquered, I guess you'd say. So it is different than just cultural transmission that like specific reached up their land and made them Americans unfortunately so that's a good point then I feel like it's hard because we don't have great examples of this we done in a peaceful and almost even like accidental sort of manner you know can we look at maybe like even within the different sort of regional cultures of America mm-hmm. um like I've I could be totally wrong on this. It would be nice if Johnny McDonald's called being that he was an anthropology. Yes. <laughs> and but anyway, hey. uh, I I do think um, there maybe is like a we may be trending towards a slightly more homogeneous American culture away from there being sort of more pocketed in a bit. Like the South is much I I feel has more culturally in common these days with like New England than it did probably fifty years ago. Um, right. and especially more than it did, you know, a hundred years ago or more. Um, and so that, I mean, is, is in part, I think because yeah, of like the internet 
and mass media and that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess, yes, yeah, we maybe see it earlier in a place where we're all like legally in the same country at least and, and all speak the same language. But I could imagine a way in which that might happen globally. Um, I guess the question becomes then is, are there elements of the regional cultures that are being lost as we become slightly more homogeneous? And I don't know that I can think of any strong examples one way or the other. I, I've actually been having this argument with my friend who's from Houston, Texas, about whether Texas is a Western or Southern state primarily. And this is like a little joke I have all the time because I say it's Western. Brittany's almost all of it is. And she's like, no, 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 we're the South. And so I've kind of been thinking a lot about if these regional identities still exist at all. And recently, when we were talking about this, we kind of started to say it almost feels like um, equally cultural identities that won't exist anymore in America are city people versus like country folk or something to that effect. Like, it feels like anybody who lives outside of the city shares way more in common with people who live outside of other cities. Like, somebody in rural Wyoming probably feels pretty similar to someone in rural Virginia. They probably listen to similar music and similar lifestyles more so than somebody in in Lexington feels like close to somebody in DC you know what I mean downtown DC yeah so I do think that is an effect of the internet and radio or whatever just kind of like like you said that's becoming all kind of the same everywhere And big box stores pushing out any like little mom and pop shops. So everybody in everywhere in America shops at Target and Starbucks and McDonald's. And kind of yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me because I'll say like in um, not that Virginia and South Carolina are dramatically far apart, but having, you know, grown up in Virginia and then gone to undergrad in South Carolina and lived there for like nine years. Um, there are definitely, I would say, like almost like if I don't know when I went to go, I've been to visit Greenville, South Carolina a number of times. And every time I went there, I was like, wow, this feels a lot like Roanoke culturally. Um, and I think it's just because they're like similar sized cities. Um, also, I guess like, like Roanoke is in the mountains and Greenville is like mountain adjacent. Um, so that might contribute to a certain extent too, in just terms of like, you know, what, what sort of, I guess, leisure activities and things like that people are going to gear themselves towards, whether it's like outdoorsy hiking type stuff or, I don't know. Um, but yeah. And meanwhile, like, like, I guess something like a Charlotte feels a lot more like a Richmond. Um, and again, they're similar size cities. So I think that that makes sense. So I, I think I yeah, agree with what you're saying there. Why do we think that happens? Cause I also agree with that observation. And like another example would be college towns all tend to have similar vibes, especially colleges of the same size. So why would it be that when you get a roughly similar amount of people and a roughly similar amount of space, the ideas start to become hegemonic? Okay, so I think the college town thing is just an effect of like rapid turnover of young people. So that I mean, youngest people that makes sense. The youngest people always being like probably the most liberal, and so they're just continually cycling in the most liberal people with the most like outspoken attitudes, kind of all the time. Um, the thing about the city, I think it's just people in cities are exposed to other kinds of people in the light of other people. And I think that tends to make them everything politically similarly. Like, it's so easy for me to, having lived in New York City, to grasp, like, white privilege and racial divides and things more so than I think I could when I lived in Virginia. And when I drive through certain parts of this country, I think... I don't agree, but I can understand why people who live in these places don't see white privilege. They see I'm a white person and I still struggle and I'm still poor and I still have all these problems. So like, what does white privilege mean? So I think that, that this is kind of more bridging on just political, but something I think about a lot when I do like drives between New York City and Virginia, like it kind of makes sense that if you live in a place where you're just exposed to more people and fewer kinds of people, it's, you're just, you're not going to see what people are talking about on TV 
that just seems like it doesn't relate to your life at all. I mean, I totally could see that. And I felt that even in Roundup to some extent. Mm -hmm. And I think that politic the political aspect of things is what he had seen his field. Like he was control idea and see how you see yourself. That makes sense, I think. Um, I don't know. I think that there are still plenty of like conservatives in cities. Um, but they, wow. yeah, but I would agree that, yeah, but I mean, obviously, you can look at like even just like a demographics map and yeah, and the cities tend to vote more liberally and all that kind of stuff. So there definitely is, is a trend there. Um, and I think that, yeah, that that does make sense. Um, also, like in the city, where there's like a lot more people um, and maybe even like things happening, you're going to tend to sort of modernize faster and um, like more rural towns. There's just like changes happen a lot more slowly when they do happen. They often happen a couple years after um, they've already happened in, in more urban areas. Um, so I mean, I, I don't know that that explains conservatism necessarily, but um, it's just like another way that culture is experienced differently, I guess. And so, I don't know, we'll have some effect on that. That's interesting, though, yeah, because I don't know that I can really, if I feel like that, that's a good enough reason to, like, explain away the why, why small towns everywhere feel the same, kind of. Like, a small town in rural South Carolina, I think, feels the same as, like, a small town in Michigan. Um, or a small town in Connecticut, in my experience, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, I want to be clear. I don't think like the politics is averaging at all. And also, like, I definitely know that there's still so much radiant and still the most conservative people you'll ever find probably living in this chair. Yeah, like, also, Mike, oh, oh. sorry, Katie, we lost you for a second there. We got you back now. <laughs> That's okay. No, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I think it. I think final answer for me, the the political sort of thing, <laughs> just like described, plus the big box stores pushing out mom and pop shops that would have had like a local flavor, and and probably honestly the invention of radio. I would say it's like that was like a strong cultural divide. You know what I mean? I feel mm -hmm. that, that's that would be my guess because another thing is like you go to any small town in America and probably the country radio station is the number one radio station, which is fair. I love country music. I love it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's what I think. Of course, it's not like I mean, there's a million variables, and they're all interfering. So to tie back, I guess, kind of to the original question, is there a value to like, I don't know, like, let's say, like, yeah, small towns everywhere kind of still listen, are all listening to country music now and whatnot. Um, but like, if we look at like, even around sort of like Appalachia, where we grew up, like there's a historical tradition of like bluegrass, um, that kind of a thing. And do we think that maybe, like, that seems like something that maybe is dwindled to some extent? Do we think that, like, young people in Appalachia are listening to bluegrass like they would have been 100 years ago? Or are they listening to, like, modern country music like every other, like, like, like small towns in other parts of the country are? Yeah, that's a great answer. I definitely think there has been a slight resurgence of Chris in that. And, like, this is so Steve, like, these are so, this report us. My announcements aren't I was gonna say I don't. Don't mean to cut you off, but I am having some trouble understanding what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, anyway, yeah, I think that's a great point. That um, I think bluegrass music has definitely dwindled from whatever its height was, whatever that was. Um, and. I do think there's like some resurgence in young people like having an interest in this and like, keep it alive. 
which I think is like directly tied to young people, people our age, like understanding that the internet are like homogenizing everything and wanting to be proud of who they are and their lineage and where they came from. So I do think there is like a little bit more of that, but for sure it is getting like, it is still dwindling overall is what I would say. Like from local interest, you know. But like it's crazy to think that there was a time when the music you listened to was what you just heard nearby, like what that guy down the street was playing. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, unbelievable to imagine like that. And cultures were just like that distinct and strictly tied together. You know, like there was so little transmission of things beyond like what you could reach in a couple days. You know, so weird. God, I wish Johnny Mac was here for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to text him, see if he can hop on. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Just in time for me to be gone and miss it. Right. Do we think, <laughs> is there um, is there a benefit, though, to this, to this, like, homogenization? Um, like, I guess, like, to the one hand, like, I could... I could, you know, here, I'm, I'm starting law school now. I just met, you know, 125 new classmates. But I could probably post some sort of, like, a goofy meme in our group chat and everyone from every part of the country will get will get the meme you know like uh it because just because they're all online i guess and and so like that seems like a benefit like it helps you to connect with people right away now it does i guess if i'm trying to imagine what it would have been like to go to be in this exact same scenario like 75 years ago we it maybe would have been harder to initially connect but maybe would there have been more cultural you know i don't know cross-contamination for lack of a better word like uh would, would that have been i don't know would it have been more interesting maybe getting to know people from farther away i have no idea so we're totally speculating on hypotheticals yeah. here i feel like it would have been definitely um i like love okay guys lately i love youtube which is so weird like i just like spent way too much time that's my new favorite social I guess that's, I don't know, it's like, it's like, I guess, like, um, because I'm just like, I'll look like, look up like a random country I've never thought of before. And then I'll just look up like something about what people do there or what it's like or what it looks like or whatever. And it is so fascinating to watch the videos of like an interview with a farmer from a remote village in Japan, you know, like, or whatever. And just like, watching somebody whose lifestyle is so incredibly different and specifically like someone who's like not connected to the internet it's just like definitely more fascinating than just like the average person who wouldn't understand me and them. right like we're all this yeah that. <laughs> if you're on the internet you don't have a personality anymore <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. I don't know if it's negative. I mean, I do feel like we think that so much communication and like boundary crossing is happening on the internet and we like to think it's positive and like ultimately it seems to me like it's probably pretty shallow and probably not worth the negative aspects of it. But, but I don't know. Another thing is that like maybe we would just all be so much more um, like averse to people who are unlike us because we're just like used to that and and maybe i don't know maybe that's been helped by just constantly being bombarded by like the prospects and so it seems like we're kind of saying that there is like distinct cultures interacting is usually a positive um because you get to like experience something different and you know see a different side of things but we're also hesitant to suggest that, like, we're, we're also at least seems to be a little fearful of the idea of them becoming too homogeneous. So, like, there's right. a positive in them interacting, but not if it gets to the point where, like, one absorbs the other. Um, right. So, then, how do we feel about the ancient Egyptians being discriminatory to an extent, I guess, against other cultures. Like, it seems like that was maybe a bridge too far because they're learning themselves off or even 
experiencing other cultures, but they also did manage to keep themselves distinct, I guess. So I don't know. And ultimately, what's most important is that somebody 3,000 years later thinks that this museum exhibit is cool. That's a really important factor of preserving culture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is really all about what I think is cool. Um, uh, I don't know. Because like I said, like enacting anything that would that would actually protect in that sort of way just seems wrong. So... Um, what it feel and, and to, I was just gonna say one thing to be fair, this is like me having like vaguely remembered the blurb about ancient Egyptians in like a museum in Richmond. So maybe take this information I'm giving you with the greatest could <laughs> be a little bit like it seems out a little more harsh than it was. This whole topic is based on a lie. <laughs> this, this may be like a, a sort of a tangent here, but I I do remember I saw a I think it was a TikTok or something the other day, and it was it was someone specifically like railing against someone something else. They they saw they said they saw some TikTok where someone was like romanticizing uh like teen culture, but teen culture of like 2012. Um and like all the comments were like were like I guess teenagers today being like, oh, I would have loved to have been a teenager in the early 2000s, early 2010s or whatever, <laughs> which is like very silly as someone who was a teenager at that time. And like, in, uh, A, doesn't feel like it was barely long ago at all. Um, and then B, like, wh how different is it that we can like romanticize it at this point? Um, so maybe we're just underestimating how distinct things can be, even within, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's relevant at all, but I just thought, I just thought of it and thought it was funny. I gotta say, it was pretty awesome being a teenager in the time when um, turn on the radio and DMC. I didn't know that. I, I, I didn't know that. Maybe they're on the something. Um, no, that's a good point. If you go on TikTok, which I do, um, people will romanticize any any year. You could look up like summer twenty thirteen, and you'll find like <laughs> just just like. TikToks that are just romanticizing like three months, like as if it's like a yeah. whole era. So that's that's just kind of like a thing. But um, secondly, yeah, you can get very very niche content like that, and it does make you start to think that, like you said, yeah, maybe things are more distinct than it sort of feels in the moment. Like, but when you zoom out, it feels more you more clear boundaries. That's a very good point, actually. Hold on, it kind of feels like there's a, a contradiction here with how we're viewing the impact of the internet on all of this. Because it seems like on one hand, we're worried about cultural hegemony of us all seeing the same sorts of content. But on the other, the internet allows for these really niche time periods and subcultures to get amplified. So it seems like it's working in both ways simultaneously. Wow, that's such a good point. Yeah, because it really kind of like is this thing that we use to like to to like define ourselves and like reset these boundaries. Yeah, you're actually it's been shifted. I mean, I was saying that contradiction and not picking up on it at all. That's so true. So there's another aspect to this where I think there's a very stark difference between top-down preservation of culture and bottom-up preservation of culture. So, you know, if, if, if our government decided that they wanted to protect American values at the exclusion of everyone else in the world, uh, to me, that would feel very wrong. And I'm guessing uh, to you all, it would feel the same. But if we, you know, as Americans organically decided, hey, there are aspects to our culture that are worth preserving, that feels very different to me than having the government do it. So, like, are you anti-Library of Congress? Like, when you hear that, like, like, oh, such and such a movie wasn't brought into the Library of Congress for preservation. Do you think, like, yeah, how dare you, government? Don't tell me what's important. <laughs> so, so no, because I don't think that's, like, a mutually exclusive entity. <laughs> like, they're not, like, burning all the foreign films as they come into our borders. <laughs> <laughs> Well, mm -hmm. I think that's why the, the Egyptian case feels 
maybe a little icky because it sounded like the government was having this top-down control. Whereas I feel like if the Egyptians were just like, hey, our culture is really cool and worth preserving, we wouldn't have any issue with that happening. Yeah, I suppose. So yeah, even or even if we're going to look like modern day, the way like France does it, it does limit the number of, of things that are allowed to come into the country. Or like China does the same thing where like that's why like a lot of Hollywood movies will like film a scene in China. Like they're, if, if, for, if it feels like for no reason, like the characters decide like, oh, we have to go talk to this doctor who's in Hong Kong. It's so that they can get the movie to show in China, because like if it's if nothing happens in China, the Chinese government like won't let it come. That's uh, yeah. Um, or like more sometimes there's like randomly a character who's like from China or speaks Chinese or something for a scene. Half the time, that's the reason why. In like a big blockbuster movie. That is so interesting. I mean, you've Um, and yeah, and that I agree. Ben feels kind of icky and like dumb. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so because I like that in this country that I don't know I can watch a Korean movie or or you know Chinese movie or or whatever without it ever having to like have passed some board of like well sorry we've got too too many we're showing them this year already you're gonna have to wait until next year to get your movie over here like that seems silly. Right. Yeah, that's a complete round. I I think I agree with that. But I, I was also, I was at the Frida Kahlo Museum in um, Mexico recently, and there's so much about her that is so proud of her country and her heritage and who she is. And when I left, I was talking to my friends on Americans, and um, I'm just saying how, like, like it's kind of sad that I think partially because our country is so new and also because we're in cycle to buy the point right now that it's really hard to feel that sort of like pride about being an American and how loud like you would just get clowned so hard at least in my favorite if you're like I love America like I'm <laughs> <so> <laughs> an American. and um I think that's kind of like a sad part of culture that we like miss out on I don't know that I would agree that we miss out on that. I think that there are probably, yeah, subsections of our culture who are less, like, openly proud. But we have the whole 4th of July, and the country goes crazy for it. Like, um, there's definitely, like, a fair amount of national pride here. Um, and, like, if you drive down the street, I bet even in a bigger city, you see American flags all over the place. And, like... Um, I mean, you right now, your uniform is like red, white, blue. No. It's not totally an accident. Like, <laughs> like, that's yeah. oh, what he managed to do that. But like, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's all over the place. And, um, then I would say like, like, yes, I agree. It's, and I think the part of the reason a lot of people may be hesitant to express that sort of like national pride is rooted, I think, largely in politics. Like, if you're anti, like, American imperialism, which I think is a totally fair stance to have, it seems maybe, um, uh, I get it, well, I can't think of the word, but, like, it seems wrong to be, like, hypocritical, maybe, to say that, like, yeah, I am anti the American government and anti-American imperialism, but I love America, and, like, yeah. It's, it's, there's like a weird like dichotomy there. So like I understand that like certain cultures based on your politics, it may be in certain social groups, especially like yeah, kind of cringy to be like pro America. But um, <laughs> but I don't think of that yet to say that there's. I think there's still plenty of, of American patriotism and probably even within I, those groups a way to express it. But yeah, it's just <laughs> harder, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny that um, none of the people in the military going to be in this philosophy club right now can you imagine yeah. the, uh, the commentary i'm gonna get in the group chat after they hear this and be like what are you talking about katie hates america <laughs> no which is so funny because when i brought this up with my friends at the korea Kawa museum they were like wow katie loves america wow oh <laughs> bitch uh yeah i don't know i don't know how to fix i don't know how to fix any of this <laughs> well guys speaking of uh american america i have to go work for 
Well, I guess I shouldn't say what company I work for. First shot, those guys are cool. Whoa. <laughs> Gotta go look for that, that red, white, and blue airline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, it's been lovely. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, I can't wait to hear what else you've ever heard. Yeah. And Johnny Mac on the call. Get Johnny yeah, Mac she's like, and yeah. get him on and, and get some last minute thoughts on him. Yeah. <laughs> From him, yeah. Okay. All right. Bye, guys. Have right. fun. Thanks, Katie. So it's, it's kind of interesting to me, continuing with this like American culture discussion of, I, I wonder if our lack of stated pride for a lot of people is from one of two things i think you already brought up the first one was like yes we are against american imperialism and touting american culture feels like it's also endorsing that at times but assuming we divorce those two it even still feels to me like i feel like we just we live in the culture so much that we forget that we almost intrinsically identify with it like i wouldn't consider myself someone who's like outspokenly a lover of american culture and yet all of my favorite films or almost all my favorite films are by American directors. A lot of my favorite novels are by American authors. Almost all the music I listen to is by American artists. So, so like, even though I don't have a stated love of American culture, I have an expressed love through the things that I am consuming by choice. Does any of that resonate? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think also, and maybe this is, um, maybe I'm off base on this, and so let me know if I am. But um, I think we may also, as Americans, tend to sort of think of ourselves as like the center of the universe, um, or like the default. Like I don't know if I even like think about like I don't know. <laughs> like yeah, like like it's it's that's in part. I mean, it, it helps that I guess we are like a major global superpower or whatever, and um, and that like Hollywood is the largest producer of like global media or at least film and all that kind of stuff um but yeah uh i don't know yeah I, I think we do have this tendency to just sort of like assume that like american culture is sort of like default culture and then everything else is just like the is the, the variation um and that's obviously like goofy and incorrect uh <laughs> but i think that kind of speaks to like so, so pause there. Do you think most cultures don't sort of see themselves as the default? I have no idea. Um, I have literally no clue. This is another area where I may be like totally limited by my own perspective. Um, I mean, but like kind of the point I was getting to of like, yeah, I don't actively sit around thinking that America is the default, but this is just the culture I live in. So of course it's the default. Right. So when I yeah. see an American movie I love, I don't like think to myself, oh, that was a great American movie. I think that was a great movie, and by default, because of most of what we get as American, it's an American movie. Do you think in like much smaller cultures um, that they may like? I mean, where like, like I don't know if if there's almost any movies being made out of like uh, Switzerland. I mean, presumably there probably are, but like I would imagine that probably a, a bulk of the movies that they're watching are American movies. Um, that's not to say that they probably feel their own culture is as distinct from that, but like, I would maybe for them just or like, and then maybe a bad example. I don't know, but I can imagine a small country um, where like maybe movies in general feel like an American thing because it's just not really like done where they are. Okay, well, let's switch mediums then. Let's go with books because I, I books. assume those are much more ubiquitous. Well, I. I I know, again, I'm just assuming here, but I assume that most people by default read books from their own culture and don't really think of them as books of their culture. They just think of them as the default books that we read. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think you're probably right there. Um, yeah, because I'm trying to, even like if I try to think of much smaller sort of American like subcultures, um, Like if you picture like like something where in like really rural Appalachia, for instance, like a very small town in rural Appalachia, they think of their way of life as yeah like the default, and then everything else is just um, I don't know like big city living or or whatever. But um, 
Yeah. So yeah, and it, yeah, and it's probably almost. I don't know. It, it feels weird that we meet so as artists to disagree that like yes, everyone views their culture as a default culture. <laughs> that seems obvious in in hindsight. Yeah. It was. So the other point I wanted to bring up is so again thinking back to the original point of this question was do we think it's good or bad that culture is preserved or not? So assuming there is no coercion, hard thing to to guarantee. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how much of it is just a revealed preference of people. So, you know, if I have access to Spotify, which gives me access to the entirety of the human music library, and everyone else has roughly similar access, and people just by choice don't happen to listen to bluegrass. Now I have an issue with this example because I love bluegrass, but let's right. keep going with that example. So is it wrong if everyone is just listening to the music they want to listen to and it all just happens to be similar? Is it wrong? Well, Probably no. Wrong is not um, but is it is it is something lost there? So I think kind of yes. So I'm gonna lean on um like I guess often do Wittgenstein here to a certain extent. Um and like I guess This is maybe 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 kind of long and rambling, but um, like Wittgenstein had this thought that uh, specifically when talking about language and and communications, uh, when people when two people have like a an inability to communicate well, it's likely because they're kind of speaking really two separate languages. Like even though you and I both speak English, if we're communicating about something and can't quite get to the same page on it, probably it's because we're really speaking like kind of different different languages. Like when I say one thing, you hear it a different way than what I meant. Um, and he thought that our languages are rooted in like our, our way of life. Um, so like he had this famous, famous quote, like if a lion could speak, we couldn't understand it. Um, and the idea there is that like, because the, it's way of life is so distinctly different. Um, even if we were speaking using the same words, the communication would be functionally impossible because we don't use those words to signify the same things in the same ways like our, our lived experience is so dramatically different um that we cannot really communicate with them one another well and so i think that that if it does eventually tie back into culture in that like the reason yeah in, in that when you are in, in part of a culture it implies that you have a shared way of life to a certain extent that's what being a culture is, is a shared way of life and so to lose that um or to become kind of homogeneous with another culture like yes you may be able to communicate better or you know relate better to, to other more a wider variety of people but to lose some of that specificity is sort of like losing a connection to um i guess like your 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 history or the people you come from or uh like i don't think about like like i guess like any like if, i do this maybe a silly example but if you think about like, like a hallmark movie it's where some like character is coming back home and they've, they're coming, they've been living in the big city for the last 15 years and they come home and they're like disconnected from the local culture. Um, the reason that that movie, like the, the arc of them, like reconnecting with the local culture works in terms of like a storytelling perspective and we root for it is because we do see that there's like value there, I think to, to like engaging with your own way of life and, and uh, your, your people, so to speak, I guess, in your culture. I feel, I'm not sure I've ever watched a Hallmark movie and thought, man, this works. This is like, who is it? <laughs> but, but does that make okay, sense? So, so, so piggybacking off of that example, though, is, all right, let's say our protagonist leaves her small town for the big city and then comes back to her small town but everyone has embodied big city values and she just communicates with them the same way she would with the people in the big city. What would be lost in that scenario? In that scenario, what feels lost is, I guess kind of like a connection to history which like i feels almost corny to say like um I, I, I don't know i can't think of a way to talk about this without like feeling corny but um the idea that like if everyone now has moved on collectively then we are like no longer tied to like 
like our, my great grandparents, you know, like if I've got nothing in common with them anymore, our, our culture is just so dramatically changed. The idea that like, even if they're not around anymore, the idea that I can't relate to them in the way that they lived, which is ultimately going to be true, I guess, no matter what, does kind of feel like a loss to a certain extent. I think that's part of why like people are, people can be proud to be from like a long lineage of whatever, whatever. And we, my family's done this this way for a thousand years um, or whatever. Like you hear things like that, I guess, come up. And part of that is the idea that, yeah, like there's a shared cultural tie that like extends back that far. And I don't know, there does feel like my, my emotional experience of that is that there is some value there. I don't know that I can intellectualize why. Yeah, so I, I don't quite relate to you that. Like, I, no, I, obviously, I acknowledge that people have that sentiment, but it's one of those that I've just never been able to really wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I think it's more valuable to have cultural connection. I, so I'm thinking like what you've described sounds like a, a vertical cultural trajectory. So I have this okay. lineage of people going back and I share a cultural tradition with them where I think a horizontal cultural trajectory is much more advantageous to a flourishing culture. Like it's much better if I can relate to you than if I can relate to my grandparents. Because yes. they exist in the same time and how we interact matters. Better word matters. Uh, sort of, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I get that. And again, I think intellectually that makes sense. Um, that argument, I totally buy it. Um, but I can't help but feel emotionally that there is something that's lost if you lose that that vertical connection. And again, that's not to say like I think to a certain extent it gets lost no matter what. Like ultimately, like I if I have an ancestor who came over on the Mayflower, even so to speak, um, do I have anything in common with that person? Probably very very little. Um, but like if I don't know, like if my like. like I, I've just moved to Lexington and like Lexington is full of these like plaques of like, this is the spot where Lewis and Clark stopped by on their way back from their expedition to go talk to, you know, Thomas Jefferson, blah, 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 blah. Or like, this is the spot where Robert E. Lee lived and yada, 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 yada. And like, that's kind of like the town's culture here is rooted in that sort of, you see how we can frame that vertical historical culture. And it does feel like it contributes to the, yeah, the culture of the town. And I'm glad that it has it, even if, you know, like, I'm not super glad to be associated with Robert E. Lee, I guess. Uh, but like, but it is interesting to be aware of like the way the town has evolved and grown and held on to some elements of, yeah, that, that historical culture. Um, it feels valuable. I don't know. And like, would it be, is it better that like the town is also had, you know, horizontally able to interact with, the modern world yes that is also a good thing and practically speaking it's better um but there is i think still and i don't know if i can put a name on it but there's a value i think to that historical culture so is do we think there's only or is it possible that there's only a value because that sort of thing allows people that are in the same geographic location to almost instantly connect at that horizontal level so like if we all show up in the same town and we all suddenly take pride in the events that have happened in that town's history, suddenly we're immediately connected on that horizontal axis, even if we're using the vertical axis as a way to get there. Maybe. Um, so to use like a separate example, like I know that there's um, a few, like around the world, there's a number of languages that are like old languages that are barely used or that are kind of like dying. Um, and so, like, some of the people who are trying to keep them alive, like, I know, like, like uh, I don't know if it's Gaelic necessarily, but, like, there's old Irish dialects that are dying and Welsh and things like that. Um, and I think part of the fear there is that, like, if that language does die effectively, then we have lost that cultural tie to, yeah, the, the, that vertical horizontal, or that vertical tie to the past, which, again, is not necessarily practical. Um, and so that maybe that's just rooted in like our fear of death and we don't like the idea that like we would our legacy be forgotten like be burnt out yeah that our legacy could go away completely um and so maybe that's what that's rooted in and it's not practical yeah I agree but it does I, I love that example because 
I think there is a practical uh, function to preserving language. Like this, this is a super contrived example. Like sure. let's say Gaelic suddenly functionally died out. Like some people knew the basic words, but as a language, uh, it was almost gone. And then we discovered like what what culture is Gaelic in? Is that Irish? Like classic yeah. Irish. Culture. If we we stumbled upon some archaeological ancient Irish library that. We could tell from the few words we know housed really deep knowledge about humanity, but we couldn't interpret the rest. Like there's actually a functional potential loss of knowledge there, especially depending on the size and importance of the culture. Yeah, um, that's true. And I guess, okay, and we can even take that then back to like, you know, let's look at the the small Appalachian town that maybe becomes more homogeneous. Is that... um not only is it the the loss of like knowledge, so I think obviously not like it's almost incontrovertible that knowledge is valuable, but also like that we would be able to like unable to really relate to or experience any of the art from that culture or um, like I remember in I took a philosophy of art class back in undergrad and at one point in time someone was like we've been able to recreate what this like ancient Greek song probably sounded like and by like mod it did doesn't fit like modern musical patterns at all so it just sounded like nothing like it just sounded like a barrage of, of noises essentially um which you know so like completely unable to relate to it um, oh my gosh like that time you maybe listened to like himalayan throat music <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um and so if we if we can see that there is value to experiencing a culture whether it's your own or otherwise the idea that a culture could become so like we're experiencing, but yeah, I guess the arts or, or what what have you of a culture, then the idea that a culture could die out or become so functionally gone as to not really be like, we're even in the historic, we could dig up that ancient Greek song, but no one can really appreciate the ancient Greek song. So something has been lost by the dying out completely of that culture. Does that make sense? He's here. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Finally, so do knows on their terms here. <laughs> Johnny Mac, hello. Hey, Mike, how are you? Hey, good, good. Oh, yeah. Okay. Welcome. So, we, we need help. Yes, we're discussing. We'll see, yeah. Um, so, the initial question, um, it's too bad Katie's, Katie's gone already because she brought it up, but she was saying... Thank you to Ben and Mike and Katie for this wonderful discussion. We will continue it, Johnny Mac, next week. And thanks again to our friend Sam Roller for his production and music. We'll see you next week. Continuation of this discussion.